morning to you. This is our Tuesday Key Market Drivers call for January 23rd. There's our contact info. As always, we would love to hear from you. And if I can get the slide to change, we'll just go ahead and here we go. We'll go ahead and get into it. So every week when we put these together, you know, we kind of go through what is it we're going to talk about? What do we want to communicate? And we're not here to fill time. But you get at periods like this and the things that are moving markets have been the things that are moving markets, i.e. the big one there continues to be good South American weather. We're getting into early harvest. I'll talk about that a little bit. Um, the spec has gotten really, really short, uh, historically short, not quite a record, I don't believe, but we'll talk about that. That could cause us you know, a bit of a, a torrid, but probably short-lived rally at some point if we ever get that stuff to liquidate quickly. Um, but really, those things don't really uh, take a lot of time. And again, we're not trying to, to take time, but we also sometimes on weeks like this, we will try to use that to update you on something that's very, very important to, uh, to, to one or all of the markets that we have. And certainly when you get to the soy complex and even more specifically the veg oil markets, this renewable fuel, fuel thing has been, uh, I would say, vexing us here for quite a number of years now. And um, it's not always gone the way it's been billed to go. And, and we thought we're kind of in one of those spots right now. And I thought we would uh, take a little bit of that time and just kind of update you on uh, the extra capacity, where the renewable fuel standard mandates are, the extra crush capacity that's coming online to uh, try to take up some of this and some of the other ways that the mar market is trying to really solve this feedstock dilemma. So uh, we got a few slides again. Won't take an enormous amount of time, but wanted to kind of get that on the docket here. We've been uh, talking about that for quite a while, but we've just had too much other stuff to talk about uh, here in recent weeks. Um, I, I talked about the spec positions. I will show you the commitment of traders. We've also got another pretty cool chart that combines, uh, that shows really well how the money's bet uh, by the speculator, but it is spet, spet, uh, it is bet on the short side of the market, that means that the spec is betting money that the market will continue lower. Um, so far, they've been right. So far, they're making good money at it. But, you know, what's the old adage? Even the worst markets don't go straight down. Uh, and if you get this market to flip around just a little bit, not sure exactly where the, what the catalyst for that would be. But if you get these markets to flip around a little bit and you start washing some of this money out and you get liquidation of this short position, i.e. buying by the spec, um, when they have this much money bet, sometimes it takes quite a while to get that money off the table. And if that starts happening quickly, you could have kind of an explosive little rally in the middle of what fundamentally is kind of a bearish outlook. Rains are good in South America. We seem to have enough of everything. Um, but Wanted to kind of point that out to you. Oh, uh, we also have the, uh, the the latest version of kicking the can down the road here when it comes to budgeting. I don't want to get too far off into the politics of it, but the reality is, is uh, we're kind of continue to spend money like drunken sailors. I think uh, if you look at the White House Budget Office, the OMB, the Office of Management and Budget, they've got a couple pretty cool spreadsheets there that I've downloaded. I'd be glad to send them to you if you pop me an email. Um, but it, 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 it gives us the whole history of government spending in the U.S., how much we're collecting in taxes, what the deficits are. Uh, and then it gives you projections out. I don't know if they project out about four or five years, typically. Uh, and we're spending 25 or 26 percent of GDP at the federal level and are projected to do so all the way through 2028. 
Um, and we just can't collect that much. We just cannot collect that money, much money in taxes. I don't care what the tax rates are. And so there's this pushback, and this is why we have these big fights in Congress. You have some that are trying to control spending. Uh, unfortunately, many of them on both sides of the political aisle seem okay with uh, this, uh, I call it a smoke them while you got them uh, deal, uh, economy. But um, that's the fist fight, and that's why we can't seem to get much of, we certainly haven't passed a budget in this country in, I don't know, was it over a decade, I think? Probably well over a decade. We just continue with Paul the. Paul Ryan, I think, was the what's last. What's that? I said Paul Ryan, whenever that was, was the last guy to pass a budget as a speaker. Wow. So we just continue with these, continue with these continuing resolutions, which is a resolution before Congress to just keep spending money as we have been. So, any rate, I don't know where this is going to go. Uh, ultimately, I think. Um, I think at any rate, I want to get too too much further off because I'll delve too far into the politics of it. But um, we got that done, hence the uh, the cartoon that we had on our first slide there. We've also got a WASD coming up here in a couple of weeks, but uh, honestly, the February WASD is usually a, lot, a yawner. We call it a tweener WASD. It's kind of in between some important reports. But any rate, uh, we'll touch on that a little bit more when we get to the week ahead. So here's the spec shorts positions. And what you're looking at on the chart with the blue line is the total managed money or spec, the speculator, what their positions are uh, combined corn, Chicago wheat, Kansas City wheat, and soybean positions. And you can see that the spec is as short as they have been since July of 2020. Um, we had that one, who sent that out? Somebody sent one out um, that showed even further back, it went like a decade. Uh, back in history, uh, and this is about as short as the spec has ever been when you combine all those uh, all those products. It's not on here, but we've talked the last several weeks about how short the spec also is Winnipeg seed. It's right now close to 50% of all the open futures contracts are in the hands of a speculator, not a commercial, not a farmer, not somebody who either makes it or uses it or processes it or sells it, uh, is in the hands of the speculator. So. Might have a little bit of a torrid rally at some point when it had been kind of wanting to call this out to you. Not a whole lot different to talk about uh, in the corn market. Uh, the March corn, as you can see there on the third bullet down, uh, continues to make two new contract lows. Uh, I think we uh, pointed that out three weeks ago and then two weeks ago and then last week. And, and again, this market just continues to drift lower. Honestly, as the weather stays good in South America and the soybean prices continue to drift lower. So uh, I honestly don't think it's any more complicated than that. Uh, the Argentine corn crop is largely in there at 93% planted. Uh, up in northern and north central Brazil, where we are starting to harvest beans, I'll show you in a second, we're 6% harvested on beans. And they turn right in around and plant that safrina corn crop, which is about 5% planted. I think it's uh, worth right noting, Dave, it. on that on that safrina corn crop you know we, there was some concern early on that because of the the dryness and everything else in south america that that might get delayed you know pushed back and everything and the fact that we're already 4.9 percent planted versus one percent mm -hmm. a year ago i think that should alleviate some of those concerns well i would think so and i you know we talked about this last week on the call about the whole notion that we were going to lose a lot of safrina corn planted area and one of the two reasons if you recall was that ah oh, this this bean crop got planted so late that these lower prices farmers just won't take the risk of planting a late planted safrina corn crop which would be at 
much more risk if it was planted late. And I think we had pointed out to customers and, and if you guys, I don't remember, it was probably a couple months ago, um, but we showed you the the growing areas for the bean crop in, in Brazil and the safrina corn crop in Brazil. And, and the comment that we made was that the areas that were the very late getting planted on beans in Brazil were the southern areas that were getting way too much rain. And those, that's not where we plant safrina corn every, anyway. We had the, if you remember, we had the, the, the and they're color-coded, they're, they're white maps of the country and they're color-coded overlaid with green, um, depending on where that crop is planted. So yeah, I've, I've always been a bit of a skeptic uh, that we're going to lose a large amount. I, I don't think we'll plant quite the planted area that we planted last year when there was a tremendous economic incentive for farmers to plant corn. But I'm not sure I'm in the 15 to 20 percent acreage decline uh, that some people are kind of pushing. So well, and I think I think with the with with Twitter and social media and all that, I think everybody just needs to be a little bit careful about what you're reading and from who because there's. You know, you see a lot of these videos or, or posts out there that, that are trying to make it sound, even our crop last year, right? I mean, how mm-hmm. bad everybody was making it sound and we ended up with a record <laughs> corn crop. You know, there was a there was a video on Twitter or X, whatever it's called, of somebody planting corn into their bean field without even harvesting their bean field. And the caption was, you know, it's so bad in South America, they aren't even harvesting their beans. They're just planting their corn uh, right into the standing beans, this and that. And then somebody had uh, correctly uh, stated below that this video actually was from like three years ago. So it's people are trying to throw things out there to kind yep. of influence the market a little bit, I think. But anyway, we can. That, that is that is an excellent point. That is an excellent point. I appreciate you calling that out. It's almost like, a, uh, you know, when it, we talked about this in terms of the, the, the estimates for the Brazilian soybean crop, it's almost like a race to the bottom, you know. Well, I'll see your 150 million metric tons of production and raise you to 148. And the next thing you know, you got somebody at 135 and uh, it doesn't seem like reality is probably there. Well, and, so. and, and I don't think we are saying that we disagree necessarily that they're having issues down there. I just think we're being a little bit cautious about how quickly we get to that spot. Right. I mean, let's let's be a little bit measured about what do the results look like? What are the actual conditions in the ground instead of just, you mm-hmm. know, um, hitting the panic button? Yeah, Quite I so mean, we, we called that out, you know, in, in that context as well, the last couple of weeks is one of the reasons that the estimates were going down was supposedly that the early harvested yields were terrible. Well, that was a week ago, and a week ago, we pointed out that we only had 2.3% then. We only had 2.3% of the beans harvested. So, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It, they get, it seems like with uh, the internet maybe has made it worse, but maybe it hasn't. I don't know, but it, it does seem like... Uh, ideas will get a life of their own and they grow. So we used to call it fish stories, right? The fish got about three inches longer every time you told the story. (laughs) Scott, what do you got worse in the wheat market today? Not much. Kind of more of the same like corn. This is, um, we've been in a multi-week downtrend. Um, If you've been following along the last couple of weeks, we were at... um, five-week lows and then six-week lows. Well, now in Chicago, we're at a seven-week low if we're looking at Friday over Friday. And uh, and, and it's just, you know, the, it's kind of a battle of attrition here right now. There's really no bullish fundamental news, and uh, the market is taking that into account. Um, I, I got a couple of bullet points here. Black Sea um, you know, there have been some some news and wires about 
uh, the UN and possibly Ukraine um, uh, talking about a grain deal. Anytime you see that and, and you know, somebody sticks a microphone in a Russian um, uh, representative's face, they say, no, there's really no reason for a grain deal. We don't want anything to do with it. And you know what? They're probably right. Uh, Ukraine had almost five and a half million tons out the door in December. Now, only about 50% of that was wheat. The other 50% was corn. Um, but they continue to get stuff out the door um, through through help through Romania and, and other ways. And then that humanitarian corridor, uh, getting a lot of grain out of Odessa. So that hasn't been a problem. We know that Russia is going to be able to get their stuff out the door. However, their exports have been a little bit low uh, compared to a, a year ago. So at this point, really, who needs a grain deal? Um, Might save of, the Ukrainians a little bit of freight, but they're still getting the, the, the tons out. That's right. That's right. And here in the States, our, our winter wheat conditions are uh, really in pretty good shape. We'll we'll get um, probably not next week. It'll be two weeks when we get those um, uh, handful of states that report monthly numbers. Um, but that big winter blast we had and, and we showed you the snow map a week ago. Really, it, it never um, got cold enough in those areas to cause any widespread winter kill. Um, I, I know there's a, a couple of spots that probably didn't have snow that, that might have had some, you know, low 20s, um, that sort of thing. Um, but, but I wouldn't call that any big major um, uh, concern. And certainly the market doesn't think so either. So we're kind of down to eight lives now. Uh, on our nine lives of the wheat crop. Um, and, the, and the last thing I would note, um, Jay found this morning, I hadn't seen it yet, but there was a report from Reuters um, specifically about Australia. And um, you see there on the bearish side of my chart over there, the top bullet is the world production still growing and the stocks are too. Well, here's another log on that fire. Um, Australia now, uh, it seems, is is having some really pretty good weather conditions. Uh, we were worried about El Nino um, and them coming off of that big La Nina three years in a row, um, and and it's it's really having uh, uh, not much effect. It's kind of an uh, anti El Nino. Um, Commonwealth Bank and a few others now are starting to call this crop uh, closer to 30 million tons. Um, the WASDI that came out last week, USDA had Australia at 25.5. So all of a sudden, you know, maybe you have another four or five or six million tons of, of wheat out of Australia this year. So uh, again, as I said at the beginning, there really isn't any bullish fundamentals right now. I wonder if that 30 is like the 135, though. Uh, a bean production number in, in Brazil. Is that somebody stretching to to make a headline, you think? Uh, you never know. You never know. We yep. should be, you know, we're, we should be finishing up uh, harvest down there. So they should have a much better idea of what's uh, actually, you know, not even out there, but actually in the bin right now. So um, I, I would say uh, when you compare those two, uh, we're well on the front end of, of bean harvest. Uh, uh, in South America and in um, in Australia, we should damn near have it in the bin now. Okay. All right. 
Well, thank you, Scotty. I'll get pretty quick through the soy complex and veg oil so we have a little bit of time to talk about the renewable fuels uh, discussion that I wanted to have here. Uh, Brazil uh, kind of getting rolling here pretty good, 6% uh, harvested. Uh, I think in another week or two, we'll probably have a little bit better idea as we get to that, you know, I call it the quarter pole and the third pole, the, you know, the third of the way done with with harvest. That's what I think have a lot better idea of maybe what we have out there. At least the market will be starting to come to grips with that. So I think the later this harvest grows, the better the yields are going to be in Brazil because it's just simply the the early planted stuff got whacked because of that early heat and dry weather. So we'll see. Cordonier did not change any of his estimates this week. So I guess, the, as they say, um, we have that going for us. Um, and if you look at that last bullet on the top, <clears throat> you know, we've had in the bullish factors for quite a while. I took it out. Uh, I had in the bullish factors, I think it was worded, uh, tight U.S. soybean supplies, but dot, dot, dot. And the but was, it seems like here lately, about every time the USDA gives us a new estimate, we have a few more bushels that gives us, that, that the market takes one step back away from the edge of that, oh my God, we're out precipice. And, you know, they're up to 280. We pointed that out last week here in the U.S. Uh, and the world situation is pretty similar as well. I mean, um, uh, if we make this crop in South America and it turns out to be what we think it is, um, we'll have plenty of beans in the U.S. And, and plenty of beans in the world. So I don't think anybody right now is talking about the R word, rationing. So we'll see where this goes. We'll have a little bit better idea here as we get a little bit further into harvest uh, in the coming weeks. A couple things to call out on the VegUol page here. Um, we have been calling this out. and It just keeps getting bigger. Uh, every week for about the last month, I've told you that the spec is shorter than I think I've ever seen them short anything when it when you talk about it as a percent of open interest and it just keeps growing. The spec just keeps selling. So of all the open futures contracts in the Winnipeg canola seed market, half of them, half of them are in the hands of the speculator. I've been doing this 40 years. I've never seen anything quite like that. So uh, that's one thing that I did want to call out here. The other thing, you know, we talked about palm oil up again. We're getting towards the upper side of that $800 to $900 range. Uh, and lo and behold, bean oil is just not going up. You've seen soybean oil futures have kind of been slowly coming lower. Uh, South American bean oil is plentiful and inexpensive. And all of a sudden, you got palm oil the same price as RG bean oil. Um, it needs to be at a discount. It's almost always at a discount. Um, somewhere probably fifty to hundred dollars cheaper than Argentine fob soybean oil is where they need to be to keep their exports up. Uh, and we're not really hurting exports yet, but we're, we're starting to see them trickle lower. If you remember the the one through fifteen exports that I showed you last week, uh, they were up and they were up a good bit more than this. So. You wonder if we're not already seeing some deceleration and without a pop in soybean oil prices, uh, I think it's going to be a little bit hard for palm oil to rally much more than this. So we'll see. We will see where that goes. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about renewable fuel. You've heard us say before, and we will say it again, our analysis would indicate that if you have enough soybeans to crush, you're going to have enough soybean oil. Soybean balance sheet is on the right hand side. Here's the USDA's 280. Exports are probably not running at a pace at this point that's going to get us to the USDA's export forecast. Therefore, Bill thinks we will have an even higher ending stock. And if you look at that carrying through to next year, 
um, we're probably going to have enough beans until such time as Mother Nature gives us a weather-related pro production problem here or somewhere else in the world. So we have enough beans. Are we going to have enough oil? Well, if you look then to the left side, the soybean oil balance sheet, those are pretty snug. That's enough oil, but it's not too much. But I think one of the things, that's pretty tight. That doesn't give us a lot of safety stocks. But I think one of the things that has come to our attention, and I guess it makes logical sense if you, if you think of it this way, but it has not been the historic pattern. Um, we are crushing for the oil right now. We don't need the meal. We are trying to find places to stuff the meal um, into the export market, uh, and sent uh, maximum feed consumption here in the U.S. by getting it cheap enough. Um, that's what the market's job is. And if we're crushing for oil and we have enough beans to keep crushing for oil, why do we need to have this great big stocks build that we normally have in the front half of the crop year? We typically peak soybean oil stocks in the U.S. in March, April, or May. And then we draw those stocks down the rest of the year. I guess the question before the House here is, well, if crush is being driven by oil, maybe we won't see that same seasonality. So uh, even though we're sitting here looking at what looks like on paper, five and a half percent of use is pretty snug. It's tolerable, but it's snug um, for crushing for the oil anyway. Is that going to be enough? Um, I think one of the other things is when you look at crush capacity, the other question is, well, if we have enough beans, do we have the crush capacity? Um, do we have the crush capacity to crush enough to make enough oil? Um, here's your crush capacity and, and what year it's coming on there. And you could see the, the colored bars. We got a good bit more crush capacity coming on this year, even more than came online last year. Uh, we've got more scheduled to come online out into 2025 and so on. So it, it looks like the crush capacity is coming online. This is just U.S. soybean crush. Uh, there is a very large canola crushing plant that will canola crushing facility uh, in uh, Saskatchewan that's supposed to be coming online as we speak that'll add about a billion pounds of canola oil to the marketplace. So yes, feedstock demands are rising and rising very quickly because of renewable fuel, but markets fix supply disruptions. One of the way it's fixing it is more oilseed crush in the US and Canada. This is another way it's fixing it. Um, we are importing quite a bit of what used to be considered waste streams. Now, when I say waste streams, we wouldn't take used cooking oil out of the fryers and send it to the landfill. It was typically fed to animals as an energy source. Well, and we'll get into the intricacies of the uh, low carbon fuel standard program, the CARB program that they've got out in California, but it actually incense biofuel producers to use some of these waste streams. They get more carbon credits in California for making a gallon of biodiesel out of used cooking oil or distiller's corn oil than they do making it out of soybean oil or canola oil. And so we have been importing a lot more of this stuff. Uh, really look at used cooking oil. That's the orange part of that bar. Uh, but the total is inedible tallow, used cooking oil, and then kind of all other, which is the smaller category. Um, but just the increase, if you look at this crop year to crop year, which is basically the beginning of October to the end of September, that's our oil crop year. We imported two and a quarter billion pounds additional product in the, the, the last crop year than we did the one before. And this crop year is starting off at a pace that's even more torrid than last year. Um, now we did drop off as you could see there a little bit in November, uh, but look at that, look at that um, uh, October import number. That was yet another record. So um, is this there, is an, yeah. Dave, quick question. Yeah. Is there a, a, a big reason 
an obvious reason for the fall off in November? Uh, no, I, I, th I think that that, for me anyway, that goes into the category, or I'm putting that for now into the category of uh, don't read too much into a single data point, a single month data point. Uh, the, the trend here is pretty easy to spot. I think you're asking, that's a great question. Is that November the start of a lower trend? Um, I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is I can't, there, there really hasn't been anything in the form of government policy uh, or anything else that you could point to and say, that's why it's happening. So uh, absent that, I guess we we, we got to wait and uh, and see what happens. I wonder if maybe some of the other one, one of the, the possible reasons might be temporary. And that is, you know, we've always seen this seasonality in traditional biofuel use because of the coal flow properties of traditional biofuel. That doesn't apply to renewable diesel. Um, but I, I wonder if the, the used cooking oil sources that that group is using since they typically run less in the winter months, uh, I wonder if those winter months seasonality could be part of it. So I think we'll see this renewable diesel thing is so new um, that we really haven't seen enough years of it to really know what the seasonality is. But since it doesn't have, it's got the same coal flow properties as uh, uh, hydrocarbon or, or regular diesel fuel, I don't think we will see the seasonality with renewable diesel uh, that we have become accustomed to seeing with the traditionally produced methyl ester or biodiesel. So, uh, and here's your feedstock mix. And there's there's a couple things I wanted to point out. If you just look at it in pounds, it continues to grow. It continues to grow. And if you look at soybean oil, which is the blue part of that, it also continues to grow. It is the base feedstock because it's the stuff we have the most of. But if you look at soybean oil as a percent of the total, this is why this bar, they're all at 100%. Uh, the percentage that soybean oil represents of the total feedstock is actually falling. Now, we don't have all the data yet for 2023. But when all that comes out, two or three months from now, when we have all that data, I think we're going to see this again, is that soybean oil as a percent of the total is falling. Why is that? Well, I always say that soybean oil is the feedstock of last resort. It's the thing that we have the most of, of but it's also the thing that we want to use last because typically it's a bit more expensive. Uh, and again, with the California program and programs like in Oregon and Washington state, uh, we just we have a we have more of an incentive. The industry has more of an incentive to make renewable fuel out of these waste streams. So we'll see where this goes and we'll certainly update you with the new bar charts when we get the 2023 data. So I think the other thing though too on soybean oil, why I think 23 might be a little bit different is you know, the, the pathway for canola just opened, what was it, a little over a year ago? Yeah, that's a great point. So this chart doesn't capture canola pathway being opened. So I'm sure that once we get 2023, we will see a larger canola number. And that, that is probably a, will come at the expense of soy. That's just my own personal belief. I mean, we could get the data and I'm wrong, but that's my guess. I think the anecdotal data that we hear in the marketplace would indicate that you're probably not wrong. That's kind of the purple or whatever color that is. Um, what do they say? Guys can only see four colors and two of them are tan or two of them are brown. Um, but yeah, that that purple set of bars there, that is an excellent call out, Nate. That That will probably get a good bit bigger as well. So. All right, that's what we had for you in the renewable fuel side of things. Jay, what the heck's going on in the dairy markets? Well, good morning today. Not a lot going on in the dairy complex right now. Short term, um, week over week changes. The big thing in the dairy complex right now is 
keep in mind for those of us that did not grow up on a dairy farm, cows have to be milked multiple times a day. So remember last week, two weeks ago, we had bad weather. Um, it's hard to ship milk. So right now, when you can't move milk off the farm, get it to the processing plant, milk becomes cheap. So there's been some dumping um, in certain areas. Um, milk basis numbers have really moved lower in certain areas. Again, it's short term. You know, weather really screws up milk supply when it comes to dairy farms and getting it to a plant. Keep in mind, long term, we're looking for reduced milk production here in the U.S. and Europe and New Zealand. Um, uh, we're also looking for um, products for export are not here in the U.S. Our exports are not that good, but we are looking for some changes there. We are competitive on price, especially for cheese, not somewhat for butter just recently here, but we've been competitive on cheese for some time. We're going to get uh, two reports tomorrow. We're going to get a milk production report and a cold storage report. So again, the things we're looking for, and I'm going to be very repetitive, repetitive on this going forward. You're going to hear this like a drumbeat over and over and over. The risk, if you're in a dairy complex and you're a buyer, your risk is demand increasing going into a reduced milk supply situation. So everything we're looking for, red flags is, we know how much milk, again, milk forecasts are lower year over year. What we're looking for is demand signals. And the reports, uh, cold storage report will give us some indication on that. Also, at the end of the month, on January 31st, we get our semi-annual cattle inventory report. Again, this report only comes out twice a year, once in January, next one will be in July. This gives us a sense of how many cows are out there, where, where their inventory is, and the position. So, again, overall in the dairy complex, it's, it's quiet, some short-term, you know, mulling around here due to weather conditions, but again, Overall, high level, 60,000 foot, what we're looking for is reduced supply and then looking for those red flags is demand increasing for cheese, is demand increasing for NAFAT um, and for butter, for, for products. So every port going up, going forward now, we're going to be looking for those demand signals, which are much more difficult to parse out than um, supply. Supply is pretty straightforward. How many cows, how much milk per cow? Those numbers are pretty easy to digest, if you will. It's really that big question around demand going forward in 2024. All right, Jay. Well, thank you so much for that. I will. Uh, wanted to show you this before I get into the weather. Here's the short positions that I'm talking about. First off, look at this canola. That is absolutely insane. But look, I mean, you've got, uh, that is a huge short position by the SPAC. Um, they're short, uh, all the weights. They're short soybeans. They're not really pretty even on soybean meal, a little bit short on soybean oil, but the money is clearly bet here, uh, very clearly bet here uh, on the short side of the market. Let me also now flip over to the weather. I'm also gonna flip to a different microphone here in the room. It's beeping at me. This one's beeping at me that it is just about out of battery. So we'll switch. Hopefully you guys can all hear me okay. As we get into the weather, um, first off in the U.S., I know Scott has talked about it in the context of winter kill. 
uh, Jay has talked about it in the context of tough to move milk around. Well, we certainly don't appear to have any temperature problems anytime soon. Um, the old joke here in Nebraska is that we never actually have average weather. Uh, it is a numerical average of being 15 to 25 degrees, either above or below that normal average temperature. But we're going to go from one extreme to the other, it looks like here, really for a lot of the country uh, that just a week or two ago was suffering through uh, really incredibly cold temperatures. Uh, we're going to go the other way around. So certainly I should... love global warming. Yeah, I love global warming. I hear you. I tell you what, in January and February here, that's uh, uh, what did they say? There's an element of truth in all good humor. Decent rains in the last seven days uh, down in South America. Uh, a little dry in the seven day. Um, that was in the 14 day, uh, eight to 14 day window a week ago. Looks like it's going to be dry, but again, Argentina is just finishing up planting. They got good soil moisture. The soil there will hold moisture much better than central Brazil will. And central Brazil, really all of Brazil continues to get great rainfall. This great rainy season rainfall as we get the uh, soybean crop, we start to get it out. We start to get the Sabrina corn crop in. Uh, more on that in the coming weeks. But I think the uh, overriding message here in South America uh, after a rocky early start is kind of so far so good. So, and I believe that is what we have for you this week, folks. Uh, as always, we would love to hear from you, feedback, how we could freshen this up, make it a better, make it a better, uh, a better podcast, a better call would be uh, always welcome. And as always, be careful out there.